Hey guys, another Business Academy podcast coming at you right now, and I'm super pumped for today. I'm joined by and with David Seagraves, my main man here. Uh, not only is he a serial entrepreneur, but someone that not only owns four uh, physical medicine practices, but also partnering a surgery center and another surgery center on the way. Uh, six businesses plus a host more, I'm sure, on your portfolio. Someone I've been dying to have on the podcast. We got a few minutes today. I just want to say, David, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Okay, so your businesses are all, you know, your practices are based in Ohio. Yep. You're hanging out here in Florida on a bit of a retreat for yourself, and you're hanging out and enjoying the sun. You're here in the podcast studio with us. How does how does that work? How are you not just maybe explain how you're remote from your businesses and they're just operating and profiting while you're here? Well, we've got a really big team, and uh, they're highly skilled, especially at the top. You know, I've got. Great partners. Um, our CFO is kind of shouldering a lot of the weight while I'm gone. Uh, but and that's Ben Castle. Um, and then my other two partners are in the practice just cranking. They're they're Cairo. So but we've probably got now about a 70 man team. Wow. Yeah. So it's a lot of a lot of people, a lot of moving parts, but um, you know, we just try to keep everybody aligned and and producing and Really, you know, to be able to consider, in my opinion, something a business, it should be able to produce while you're not there. That's a good point. I mean, I think most uh, chiropractors or healthcare providers, they run their their private practice. Um, they don't run it like a business. They kind of run it like a technician would run it. So they got to be doing everything. They're in their 60 hours a week. They can't take a vacation and maybe they're profiting, maybe they're not, but they're stressed. They're they're leaving when they're leaving their house when the sun before the sun comes up and they're getting home when the sun's already come down, missing time with kids. So what would you say is like your best practice when it comes to setting up companies and getting people to essentially manage and run them? What's your best practice on, you know, you said 70. Most people are like just seven employees. It seems like a headache, right? How do you get yeah. 70? You know, what tools have you learned over the years when it comes to attracting the right people or just getting a team there to to run the thing? Well, for me, uh, just to back up, like to be able to to run it and not have to be in the clinic all the time, yeah, it's so key because you're you can work on the business instead of in the business, and that is really what you're supposed to do from like a CEO level. Mm. You know, you're not meant to be the technician in there every day. And I never built a business where I wanted to be the guy in there every day mm, yeah. or never even really wanted to be the the face of the company necessarily. I mm -hmm. built it to be a machine. And, and on that note too, you know, when I build them, usually I'm looking at um, when I start, like I'm already looking at the potential exit. Right. So you're looking, you know, you, you want something that's able to run when you're not there and able to produce income while you're not there you know, without any major flaps or whatever. Um, and also something that at the end of the day has an exit, exit strategy, whether that's right. a, a growth strategy where you're getting acquired or you're completely changing into something else. Um, those would all be considered different types of exits. That's a whole different viewpoint. So you're really saying like when you are going to start a practice or start a company, you're already thinking with the end in mind, mm -hmm. three years, five years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever that exit's going to potentially be, yeah. you're building it from the beginning with that in mind would you would you like suggest that for the average healthcare provider if they're opening up a satellite or they're going to multiple locations maybe they phase out of their initial location and they want to go to or they want to do it they want to buy a, 
a pennies in the dollar fire sale clinic, you know, maybe within t- 10, 15 mile radius of them, that, they're, they, that they think of like, hey, well, how do I manage this with the ability to exit in 20 years? Is that at the right kind of right viewpoint to take on? Absolutely. I mean, look, I've got I've got a father, three uncles and an aunt that are all chiropractors. Mm-hmm. So I've seen it done all the different ways. Yeah. And uh, my dad's a great guy. You know, he's a very hard worker. And I remember as a kid, him being bummed out and us as kids being bummed out that he couldn't go on vacations with us. Oh, uh, right. We were going on vacations with mom. And so it's like, I realized then there's something wrong with that, you know? Um, so you have to really think with that and your and your own freedom and building a business, I think it's just absolutely crucial. That's key. So you've obviously studied and been mentored and you've you put your 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 brain into tons of different people that have been there and done that over the years. You've taken courses and um been to seminars and been a part of mastermind groups. You know, you've taken courses that the business academy offers. Talk a bit about like some of the management training that the business academy offers and how that material applied into your businesses like makes makes your businesses what they are right so i i think the you know the business academy offering anything on organization and an org chart and um really understanding on a deep level of how that works to organize a business and um be able to have clear channels of command for all your staff and mm-hmm. um and, you know, they, there's no, there's no ultimate in that. I mean, even we could be better at that. Totally. Yeah. You know, and as you grow that board changes and then you've got to evolve and yep. get everybody caught up to speed. And so it's a, it's a never ending, uh, evolution there. But I think that that is very key. I also have done a lot of sales and a lot of fundraising and a lot of training in that area. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's also key. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have strong sales and, um, let's talk about that for a second. Cause I think most healthcare providers don't want to sell, right? Yeah. Or they don't want to, you know, they don't want to do that, right? But then yet every year insurance companies are are taking la- or they're taking uh, more reimbursements away, they're covering less, and then the average healthcare provider or chiropractor is cornered into running an unprofitable business, but they're they don't want to sell anybody. So, what do you say to that pr- small business owner, that provider? to help them take a new viewpoint about how to run their business if they're going to get people to move on to services that aren't covered by insurance so their practice can grow and the patient can get better? Well, there's nothing more key than being able to sell. I mean, you've got, um, look, I have had all, like I said, I've got a lot of experience with chiropractors. Yeah. They've all been in the family and they've all, you know, been to different schools, Yeah, some to Palmer, some to live, all over the place. So there's different philosophies. Totally. And I would say that I've had, I think, physicians. I don't think I've allowed a physician to be involved in a sales cycle besides just giving the basic report of findings. Sure. 2012. Wow. And it's because they're great guys. And I want to help too. I mean, nobody's in healthcare. I don't really think anybody's in healthcare too much uh, unless you just have a strong purpose to help people. Totally. So those doctors have a really strong purpose to help people. So much so they went to school forever. You know, and so they're, they're willing sometimes when they hear a sob story, they're just going to give it away. And I've seen it over and over and over often and you can't do it. Yeah. You can't do it and be in business. And I understand creating goodwill and certainly donate to charity and, and have food drives and all that. I'm not saying anything against that. It's a good PR thing to do. However, 
you can't give it away because you're giving away your freedom. You're giving away your life. Right. And this is a, a healthcare private practice is a for-profit business. It is. There's no if, ands, or but about that, right? Yep. Yep. You're there to serve. And the beautiful thing is you can serve people in the process of producing capital, producing cash flow, and producing a profit, but you you have to produce a profit or else the business isn't there. Absolutely. And look, I mean, there's always going to be cases that you're going to want to do pro bono. Yep. You know, there's always going to be some people that you, you just feel you need to give help to. But unfortunately, what I've found with that sort of mentality is a lot of times that one or two people turns into 20 or 30, or now all of a sudden you've got a jar at the front desk, <laughs> you know, pay me what you think it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> and the jar never fills. <laughs> you know, so you don't want to get there. <laughs> yeah. It is a business and uh, it, it, we are in the business of helping people. And if you want to be able to help more people and you want to be able to grow and you want to be able to scale, you have to make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, that's just the facts. And that's, listen, the Business Academy is all about that, right? Too. And the beautiful thing is the more your business can cash flow, the more capital you can build uh, as a profit, the more you can do with that. And I think that's one thing that everyone listening should remember is that the more cash flow you have, it's not just, yeah, more money in your pocket, which is great for your own process of building your own wealth and future, but like a business with lots of capital can do big things and then as a result, it can serve more. So for example, in your case, multiple clinics, multiple businesses, there's no way you can open up a network for your practices and your businesses without having capital. Absolutely not. And then you're just still stuck with more practice. Yep. And we've, we've grown tremendously. You know, I started that practice up in Mason, Ohio in 2018. Uh, I think we opened the doors in October, 2018. Wow. And then since then we've grown to four locations. Um, we see a, a little over 1700 patient visits a week uh, between those locations. Plus now we've got a partnership with a surgery center and we're about to acquire another surgery center on top of that. So you've got to stay ahead of the curve. If you want to be able to finance bigger projects so that you can help more people and you can actually make a debt and a difference in your community in a positive way, um, you've got to make money. Big time. So you can't be backed off on sales. That's super key. And that's, so that's the lifeblood of your, of your, of your cash flow into the practice, 100%. Um, let's back it up even behind that. Um, of course, you've been, you've probably tried every form of marketing and branding your business that exists, right? And, and you found what works, but Without going into tactics, really, what I, what would you tell the average healthcare provider running a uh, small business practice about the importance of pouring time, energy, and money into marketing? I think the average Cairo is happy with you know one referral source or a couple different sources of new patients coming in. But how important is really just getting as much outflow as you know, and really investing in your marketing to 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 drive the funnel of your practice? Well, it's funny you bring it up because I just had a meeting with uh, a major branding guru nice. last night. And I would say, you know, the number one thing uh, that you have to keep in mind, I mean, our marketing budget is is huge and everybody's going to be different. Yeah. Right. And you need to do that based on your budget and your practice. Typically, I think it's about um, 15% yeah. or something yeah. like that of gross. So, but you want to, you want to really, you have to market, you have to make yourself look different. I know, again, family of chiropractors, Everybody wants to use that spine and the guy, the Da Vinci, like get rid of it, <laughs> be different. You got to be different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got to grab attention and, and you've got to be cutting edge and you've got to look fresh and you really have to identify who you're trying to get into that practice. Yeah. You know, Mason was built as a neuropathy clinic. 
That is a very specific demographic. I could lay it out exactly. Yep. You know, um, you, so I back to marketing, you want to lay out your specific consumer profiles. And, um, you know, there was a guy uh, I attended a talk one time that did the, um, the consumer profiles for, uh, I think it was a pumpkin spice latte. Oh, wow. Right. And uh, you wouldn't believe how exactly they lay out this consumer. I'm thinking, profile. I'm thinking blue denim, leather boots, girls in the fall. Ugg boots. Yeah, Ugg boots. Yeah. A certain age, there was a certain look that, what do they do? What are they interested in? Like, you've got to lay that out. I guess they work in anthropology, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but the, that's super key. And you've got to lay out exactly who you're trying to attract into the practice and figure out why that is. And then uh, be different and actually put your dollars towards those people. That makes sense because I think every chiropractor wants to help everybody yeah. and thus they're kind of yelling their message or maybe they're getting the message out to everybody and the message is somewhat, it sounds the same, it's generic and it doesn't target a, it doesn't target a certain demographic that, that the practice either you have services designed for or that honestly that the chiropractor wants to treat, you know, sometimes they only get three, four, five, ten new patients a week in their office and then they have to have every single person that comes in even if that patient is not the type of patient that they want to be serving, right? Yep. And that what you're saying is key. Make sure they align with the services you're offering. Niche down as specific as you can. And then, like you said, be different. I want to just shift the conversation. I could talk to you for hours, man. I know you, I know you have a tight schedule. So uh, risk tolerance, right? I think one reason that you know, you've been able to do what you have just in the last five years has been because you are tolerant of risk. It doesn't mean that you'd make risky, uneducated, risky decisions, but you're not, you're not uh, afraid or you have the courage or you're ready to, to jump in. When there's an opportunity, you look at the numbers, you look at the situation, you project out what can happen. Like you said earlier, what's the exit? You know, what's the thing with the end in mind? You know, what do you, what do you do to just to pull the trigger? I think a lot of, a lot of us and a lot of people listening have a hard time pulling the trigger and they start getting in their head and then they think themselves out of an opportunity. They're not always going to work. But what do you say to the uh, the doc just about taking action, taking action on big ideas? I think you're, you have to take calculated risks in this business. I mean, there's a lot of players and in chiropractic specifically, there's only a handful of schools that people yeah. go to. They all come out with the same type of ideas. They all want to, you know, hang the shingle up and, and do the, the private practice thing. There's nothing wrong with it. But you can't get lost in the noise of looking like everybody else. Mm. And when you're taking a risk, you know, you really have to evaluate it. Like Mason, even deciding to put that clinic where I put that clinic, it was very specific. Like I drove that area. I drove all over Cincinnati. Where do I want to put it? And I had a few different areas in mind. And then I started to dig into the demographics and I started to dig into the traffic patterns mm. and I started to dig into the traffic count outside some buildings that I was petitioning. Digital looking at. Yeah. And so, and you can get that information right online. So yeah, a lot of it's really, you know, available. It's public record uh, or public knowledge. City planning in a lot of places has those kind of charts. Uh, but, you know, I, I make calculated risks um, and I execute. Yeah. And what, what, um, what do you do if, if you make one of those risks? You're not going to, if you, you know, bet a thousand on red, it's not going to get red every time. Sometimes it is black and then you lose it or it doesn't work out or it doesn't play out the way you thought it would. Um, how do you mentally regroup from that to then regroup, you know, re repattern yourself to get ready for the next, the next jump or the next opportunity that year, or the next year. I mean, I don't know if you have a process or not, but everyone's always asking like, how does something like that 
recover from what one would consider a failure or a risk that didn't pan out. I can give you a couple of examples. I mean, one, uh, when I was, so I went to Mason, open Mason and back in Indiana, uh, we had just sold off my dad's clinics to a private equity firm. Okay. Wow. And so while we were doing that sale, I went and uh, opened this practice in Mason and we were using a ton of digital marketing over in Indiana. Worked great. Mm. Absolutely failed <laughs> in Mason. I've totally failed. Wow. Just dip, different markets, different, yeah. Different markets, different demographics. You know, I went from uh, a more, a much more blue collar uh, community that, and then I went to Mason and Mason is a much more white collar community with, uh, you know, everybody's overeducated. They've got master's degrees, this and that. They yeah. have very professional careers. Um, and it's just a totally different culture. And so we had to figure out how to penetrate that culture. And so um, it was a lot of trial and error. And I think, again, if we would have dug a little further at that time into our own, uh, you know, consumer profiles and what we were trying to go after, I probably would have gotten there faster. Yeah. But we figured out the traditional marketing was working better. So a lot of TV, a lot of infomercials, newspaper, uh, even postcards, right? you know, that kind of thing was working versus digital, which was a shocker. But hey, totally. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because you might have a guru on YouTube saying like, you know, direct mail is dead yeah. or, you know, flyers are dead or what, you know, uh, TV's dead. But then with, without any context of your product, your customer profile, like who is consuming these things and you have market testing it out, yeah. they'll never know. And I think a lot of small business owners as a whole tend to think themselves out of testing the market, seeing what works, spending some money, taking a risk and going, okay, that that's a bomb, but this will hit. Yep. And then, and then uh, be willing to 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 move forward. So, speaking of risk, man, last thing I'll ask you is: we got you know right now rising interest rates. Yep. You got a looming recession. We all know about. You know, I think business owners are just in general. The small business owner is probably living in concern. They don't want to make. They want to hedge their bets, kind of keep their cash here just in case. And then, as a result, they're not taking. They're not making big pushes forward. Mm -hmm. You're still making big pushes forward. Of course, you're, again, I imagine you're conservative with some things, but you're still, like, you're still thinking big. You're still pushing the envelope. So what do we do now? Rising interest rates, money's harder to get, costs more to get it. Uh, but what does that say about, you know, betting on yourself? Uh, I think a lot of people just need to ignore some of the noise. Yep. You know, there's a lot of bad news. Stop watching the news. Totally. Number one. Number two. Okay. Interest rates are rising. We might be going into another Great Depression. We might. So in the meantime, what you do, you ramp up your cash services that you can sell. You get new financing platforms. And I'm constantly on the hunt for new financing platforms. Totally. I stay like active on that hunt all the time because you never know. Uh, these things get bought up by banks if they're really good, and then the bank makes it really bad. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, so there's always new startups and, and things like that. Um, and I, you want to stay in front of that so that you can get people financing because not everybody is going to be walking around with a lot of cash. If there is a depression or, or a much worse recession, then I think we're already, I, we're already in a recession. They statistically, right? before they redefined it. Yeah. They conveniently redefined it in time for the midterm. Oh, they, 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 we're technically statistically in a recession, but this is yeah. just this is just waiting for something to happen. And I, I think your point is key. You can sit there and wait until, and then you can just think small. Or 
It could happen next month. It could happen five years from now. No, shit, man, it could happen 10 years from now. Who, who knows? But take advantage of what you got in front of you while you can. Yeah. And also, you know, a lot of guys are insurance. You can hedge your best with insurance as well. Sure. That's another thing. I mean, really focus on pushing the production then, you know, your durable medical equipment, uh, your basic services, whatever it is that you're doing that's covered by insurance Yeah. Um, while maintaining that the strong cash line. I've always found that to be a good balance. And then, you know, when the finance companies are shutting down and you've got a recession like back in 2008, um, uh, and then we've had it. I think we had another one after that. It was a small one. Yeah, I mean, we had we had something something called COVID that happened a couple of years ago. Well, there was that. Yeah. Well, it's, that. and see, so that's another that's another good point. So, like when COVID happened, yeah, we exploded with growth. Totally, we exploded awesome. with growth. And so, there's going to be new opportunities. Yeah, like some of us are looking forward to whatever Great Depression or recession because it's time to go acquire some competitors. It's time to yes. go. It's time to grow if you can. And not everybody's going to be able to. So you want to put yourself in a position to be able to and capitalize on that for sure. Hey, man, that's the message I think we should end off with right there. Capitalize on the next opportunity. And likely that could be at the bottom of something. So get ready now. Yep. See you, Grace. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. Appreciate your time. All right, guys. We'll go ahead and see you in the next episode. Take care. See you.